Isaiah 9, 2, and 6. The people walked in darkness, have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. For us to... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and we will be called, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no, be no end. Our second Advent reading is again from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and with it we zoom forward many, many years after God's big promise to Adam and Eve. God made his people into a great nation, but they ignored God's ways and lost all their power and prestige, barely hanging on in the mists of exile. But God still remembered his promise and encouraged his people that the day was coming when they wouldn't have to wait for him any longer. Here's how it goes. God let the prophet Isaiah know a secret. God was going to mend his broken world. He showed Isaiah his secret rescue plan, Operation No More Tears. This is the message God gave Isaiah. It was like a letter God wrote to his children. Dear little flock, you're all wandering away from me like sheep in an open field. You have always been running away from me. And now you're lost. You can't find your way back. But I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you, so I am sending you a shepherd to look after you and love you, to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room, but into the darkness a bright light will shine. It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His mommy will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come and rescue you, but he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace, and yet he will heal the whole world. He will be the hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies, but he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like a deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be, but people will hate him, and they won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. It's a secret rescue plan we made from before the beginning of the world. It's the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day, when he comes back to rule forever, his name will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. Poor Isaiah. He read God's letter over and over to God's people, but no one listened to him at all, ever. They didn't want to hear God's promise. They didn't believe it. Did it sound maybe too good to be true? Please pray with me. God, we are so much like your ancient people, and we find waiting difficult. Thank you for prophets like Isaiah who gave your people hope and who give us confidence in your plan always comes to pass. Thank you for your spirit given as our comforter as we wait again for Jesus' return. Amen.
I did want to get through this last section in Galatians of chapter 4. <clears throat> Chapters 1 and 2 are all about the man, Paul. Chapters 3 and 4 are about the message, the gospel. And the reason he's diving deep into it is he wants the, his readers, the Gentile Christians, the Gentile Galatian Christians, he wants them to have assurance of their salvation. They've come across, some people have come into the church and said to them, oh yeah, Jesus is fine, but you need a little bit more. You, and, and specifically during that time, what they were saying is, you, typically you need to become a Jew before you become a Christian. And Paul is vehemently saying, no, no. His soapbox is Christ alone. It's Christ alone. And so over these chapters, chapters 3 and 4, he goes from argument to argument to say, let me show you why it is only Christ alone and you can have full assurance of your salvation and so if you're following along on your sheet, and I'm thankful I didn't have any slides made up, so Aaron helped me out this morning. If you're following on your sheet, um, he started off with the personal argument. Uh, and and the, what goes in there, did you receive? He, he goes right back to him and said, did you, how did you receive your salvation? Did you receive it by observing the law? Or did you receive it by hearing the word of God? Did you hear... Receive your salvation by hearing me share the gospel with you. How did you get your salvation? And so he makes it personal. The second one is, then he went scriptural. And when he said scriptural, he, he, took, six, he took six Old Testament passages and said, see, even in the Old Testament, it tells us that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Um, back in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because, quote, the righteous will live by faith. And so he says, okay, the scriptures say, this is how you receive your salvation. It's through faith alone, through Christ alone. And then he went the logical route and he said, he did the if-then statement, if this than that. And he, he walked through a whole passage and it ended with chapter 3, verse 29, when it says, if, there's the if part of it, if you belong to Christ. And now he's going to give the then. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are the inheritance of, you are the inheritors of the promise. If you are in Christ, then you will receive the promise. Then he goes the historical route, and, and he, the, the term there, if you're an heir, if you're an heir, the heir is a child. He says, okay, let's take this heir. This, let's take this, the one to inherit something. He said, let's look at that. How does that typically happen? In history, how does that typically happen in the physical world? In their physical world, there would be a child of the free who would have some type of inheritance, but as they are a child, they wouldn't receive it yet. But there would be a set time 
when the father would say, here's your inheritance, maybe it was the age of accountability, maybe it was at a certain time, but the father had set a time for that heir to receive his full inheritance. That's in history how it works. And that's when we came across that beautiful Christmas passage in chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that they might receive the full rights of sons. He says, so I want you to see this in history, how it works. But I want you to see it scripturally, how it works, that God set a time. And God, and I always put it, you know, you can look at that macro, but you can look at it micro. He set a time for you to realize that Jesus is your savior. He set a time for that. Then he went the sentimental route and he, and he said, I plead with you. I plead with you. I plead with you. Why are you going the other direction? Why are you doing that? Remember the sermon when I had all the people up on the platform here? And I had the, the whole group over here. And then the other group was over there. And, and Scott Abaderis was our Peter. And Scott Abaderis moved from this side of the platform all the way over to that side of the platform. And, and when he did that, he, he also drew others to do the same thing. So that all that was left on that side of the platform was the Gentile Christians. And did Paul like that? No. No, he opposed him to his face for doing that. And so in this passage, he's, he's pleading with them. Why? Don't go that route. And he, and he ends with um, this whole idea that those people that are trying to drag you away from Christ alone, they're zealous. They're zealous. They're zealous in their message, but they're zealous for no good. And he says it's okay to be zealous, but always be zealous for what is good, what I have provided for you. And he ends that again sentimentally. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in chains of pains of childbirth, because he's the one that brought them the gospel. He's the one that shared the gospel with them for the very first time. The pains of the childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. I'm perplexed about you. Now he gets to the last one. And I'm really glad this is the last one in this section. Because it's really, he, he does a simple illustration here. It's almost like he wants us to diagram it out just like I have on your, on your bulletin. I've got it diagrammed out. But the word that goes on that sheet there, the women represent, this illustration is going to show these women represent two covenants, two different covenants. So the scripture goes as follows. And if I do this right, I'm going to cancel. Um, Tell me, verse 21, we're in verse 21 now. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you, are you not aware of what the law says? So he says, I'm going to take you back to the law. I'm going to take you back to the first five books. Do you, I want to explain something to you from there. And so he goes into this illustration. 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in an ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free, and she is our mother. I'm going to stop right there. On your sheet, you're going to have, I'm going to just put Abe up here. You're going to have Abe. And he he wants you to divide these two things out. He says, now he has two sons. One is by Hagar. There's Hagar. And then one is by Sarah. And I think he he wants his readers to look at these side by side. Okay, so what's the difference is? Well, Hagar's son is Ishmael. Ishmael. And Sarah's son is Isaac. Okay? Then if we keep going here, Hagar's son Ishmael, Hagar, was the maidservant of Sarah, and she was a slave. But Sarah was free. Next thing is in your going deeper classes, if you go to them today, um, which I encourage you to do so, you're going to go back into all of these Old Testament, this Old Testament story that he's pulling from. And you're going to learn about the story of why he's using this specific illustration. Abraham is told he's going to be the father of a great nation. And he believes in God. But it doesn't happen. There's no son. And there's no son. And he gets getting older and older. And Sarah's getting older and older. And so what does Sarah do? She says, well, I think we, I know how to solve this. And I, I'm going to offer you my maidservant so that you can have a son through her. And she, that one can be our son. I, we're going to fix God's problem. God's got a problem here. We're going to fix his problem this way. And so Ishmael is born. So Ishmael is born in the ordinary way as if any other child would be born. Any other child would be born. But then there's a whole bunch of conflict that happens after that. And after that, though, there, most, or Abraham gets visited by these three visitors. And they say, where's Sarah? And she's, oh, she's in the tent. And, and one of the visitors says to him, well, she's going to have a child by this time next year. And Sarah does what? Does anybody remember? She laughs, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, that's probably what we would have written in. Right. Yeah. Who would have think that? And, and then, but Abraham goes back to believing God, what God has said. And lo and behold, when he is 100 and she is 99, what happens? There's a child. Yeah. This child, though, is not born in the ordinary way. This child is born according to the promise. It's what God had said. God said all the way back, this is, there's going to be a child. 
but it's going to come from you, both of you. And so it, this is a, another difference between the two. Now he keeps going farther. He says these two represent two covenants. Hagar represents the old covenant and Sarah represents the new covenant. The old covenant is based on the law, but the new covenant is based on a promise. And the promise is just what we celebrated. The promise is that there would be one that would come. Again, born in a very miraculous way. A, a virgin is, is visited by an angel. And this angel says, you will have a child. And the virgin says, um, wait a minute here. <laughs> I've never been with a man. And then the angel tells how this will happen. And it's a miraculous birth. So the old covenant, the new covenant, now let's keep going. He mentions that the old is connected to the earthly Jerusalem. The earthly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that they have right now. But the new covenant is connected to a heavenly, a heavenly Jerusalem. There's a, there's a Jerusalem to come. And of course, we read in Revelation. If you've read Revelation before, what, what comes? A new Jerusalem comes. Not only that, then there's one last thing I want to add to this. I think I've gotten all the lines on here. The last thing is this line of Hagar, this earthly Jerusalem, represents Judaism. Judaism is a religion that is waiting for a Messiah, but does not have one. It's still waiting for a Messiah. It doesn't have a redeemer at this point. But this one, this side, this one represents Christianity. And the huge difference between Judaism and Christianity is that one has a Messiah that has come and has died on the cross for our sins. So I, I really think he wants us to look at these two different lines here. He wants them to look at these two different lines and say, okay, there's a huge difference between Hagar and that line and Sarah and that line. He goes on. Now we're back our passage, verse 27. For it is written, and this is Isaiah 54, 1. Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And everybody scratched their head. Yeah, <laughs> you scratch your head. You're like, what's he doing here? What Paul is quoting is uh, the prophet Isaiah, who is now speaking much later than the events he's talking about with Hagar and Sarah. And, and he's, he's saying there was a time when the, the Israelites were taken in captivity to Babylon. And when they're taken in captivity to Babylon, their Jerusalem is destroyed. They are in despair. They're in total despair. They like, we've just lost everything. Man, life is over kind of thing. And so, but Isaiah says, be glad. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, how be glad? O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud. You 
who have no labor pains because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. He's saying to them that are in this captivity, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when you return home. There's going to be a day when, when you flourish again. You're going to flourish again. You're going to come back to Jerusalem and you're going to flourish as a people again. It's just not right now. And he's using that same type of verse, that same kind of thing uh, to say, but wait a minute, this new heavenly Jerusalem, it's coming. And that's what you have to look forward to. That this flourishing, this beautiful being in the presence of God is yet to come, is yet to come. After he says that in verse 28, now you brothers like, Isaac are children of the promise. See, after he's listed them out, he says to the Gentile Christians in Galatia, he says, you're on the right side. That's where you're at. That's where you are on this graft, on the right side. Verse 29, at that time, the son was born in an ordinary way, that's Ishmael, persecuted the son who was born by the power of the spirit, that's Isaac. It is the same now. It truly happens in the scripture. If you go to going deeper, you'll read this. That after the child, Isaac, is weaned, so probably around three years old, is weaned, there's a big party, woohoo, you know? And, and, and then um, Ishmael, who's a bit older now, he picks on his stepbrother. He picks on his brother, half-brother. He picks on his brother, and, and makes fun of him and mocks him, which doesn't make Sarah too happy kind of thing. But what Paul is saying, just like that happened back then, that those who are the followers of Christ and Christ alone, they're going to be persecuted. So the ones that are on this side of the line will be persecuted by those that are on the other side of the line just like it is happening now. Verse 30, but, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman will never share in the inheritance of the free man's son. He's saying those that are on the left side of this will never. Those that are on the right side will. He finishes with this. Therefore, Brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So he ends all these arguments. He's got one more verse to go here, but he ends all these arguments saying, this is the side that you were on. And I hope that I have said this in five, six different ways, six different ways for you to realize that there is not something more that you need. All you need is Jesus Christ. That's all you need, all you need. And so he, kind of like a capstone, if you go to chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, stand firm. Don't stand on anything else, but you only stand on that. That my salvation has come through Christ and Christ alone. Only by him. And so 
And then it's Christ, stand firm. Then you do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of the slavery. I would pray that you would really search out, how do I stand firm in that? How do I make sure that I don't go back to the works of man? How do I make sure that I don't think that what I do would get me to heaven? Because what you do does not get you to heaven. It's Christ who died on the cross that gets you to heaven. You've surrendered to him. He's your Savior and Lord. Now you serve. Now you serve out of a whole different mindset. You serve because you love the one who died on the cross for your sins. A whole different reason. And so I pray this day, I'm, I'll end with this sad story and with the sad story. I think I can just do that, right? Yeah. Um, there was a man in our church that was uh, wanted to be a member of the church. Not this church, okay. Wanted to be a member of the church. Part of the membership process was that they would sit down uh, with the elders, the leadership, and share their testimony. And, and what she did... Um, and when they got done doing that, usually the uh, elders or leaders would be able to ask any questions. And so one of the questions that one of the leaders asked said, how do you, how are you, how do you know that God would let you into heaven? And his answer was, and he had been in church for a long time, long time. His answer was, well, I hope I've done good enough. Yeah. But I tell you, it's so easy to slip back into that. I mean, the meeting, the meeting changed course at that moment in time. The meeting changed course and, and started to talk about the gospel again. The grace and the peace from God who has come to you through Jesus Christ um, who died on the cross for your sins. I mean, the meeting changed to say, no, we need to help you understand the, the freedom that you have in Christ. That it's because of Christ's death on the cross, not because of anything that we have done. And so it's easy to fall into that in our world. We have to struggle against that, right? To say, no, it's Christ alone. Christ alone. Oh, oh yeah, guys, come on up. So would you bow your heads in prayer with me? So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the conclusion of this passage of Scripture, of, of this section um, going into Christmas and being able to take a little break here, Lord, and just zero in on some passages that talk about the birth, your birth and... Um, but Lord Jesus, to be able to complete it and see how Paul is just pleading and so sentimental and, and using all these different arguments, but then to come down to this illustration to point the believers to which side of the page and that we need to be reminded that we are, we are children of the free woman and that there is a heavenly Jerusalem. And that heavenly Jerusalem is, is reigned over by you. 
And so, Lord Jesus, even this morning, I pray that if there are any here that that don't know you, they would realize that there's God in heaven who sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. And then they can be in a right standing with God. That we would turn, we would repent to you, and we would believe in you. Not only that you came, but that you died on a cross, that you rose on the third day, that you ascended to heaven, and you can be like with the rest of us, waiting for the return of our Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, we ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.